Great. Well, this is the second last meeting of our evening meetings this time. Uh, you'll be joining us next week where I believe Nathaniel is going to be talking about, what would you say about Christmas presents? But this week I'm going to be, uh, which I'm excited about, <laughs> but this week I'm going to be talking about what would Jesus say about work. Now, we're going to start off uh, a bit uh, old school this evening. We're going to read the Bible together. To, to start us off, so <laughs> we, I don't think we've actually done it so far, um, but would you turn with me in your Bibles or on your uh, ESV apps to uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, we're going to read uh, through to 2, 2, and then 7 to 9 and 15, great, then God said, let us make man, let's make him in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the, he- the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thin- thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God he created him and he made them male and female. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, I will give you dominion. And everything that has the breath of life. And I will give you every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning. And that was the sixth day. Thus the heaven and the earth were finished. And all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. We move on to verse 7 to 9. Then, God, then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden called Eden in the east, and there he put man whom he had formed. And out of the garden the Lord gave God made to spring up every tree that was pleasant to the sight. And there was good food. There was the tree of the life was in the midst of the garden. And so was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And finally, we'll read verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it evening we're talking about work. And both Hannah and I love the autumn. We love just Edinburgh in the autumn. Uh, we love the clear days, we love the, the kind of crisp air, we love the golden landscapes because we're a bit arty, and we love the fact that Edinburgh, again architectural, we love that Edinburgh comes to life in the kind of crisp hard light of the autumn. But when winter comes, the lights seem to go out. And it seems like the stretch to the Christmas break just takes forever. 
This is uh, one of our uh, preferred artists, a kind of moody, dark landscape. But some mornings as you trudge to work, this can be the, the feeling you get as you, man, where has daylight gone? I start work in the dark, I come home in the dark. And my experience of earth right now is uh, a kind of a scene like this. Um, I hope not quite as bleak, but uh, it's a good image. Now, I assume most of you appreciate the slog up to Christmas. I think it's fair to say it's not very pleasant, but as Chris has told us, Christmas is just around the corner. We have Christmas carols to be singing and the likes, and uh, we are looking forward to that. But these next four weeks, three weeks, however long it is, does feel like a trudge, and it is okay to feel that. But this evening, I'd like to encourage you all, wherever you are, that work and in our midst is uh, only temporary. And I'd love to not just give us a kind of focus and a helpful chat, but I'd love to steer your hearts this evening in what God has to say about our work, about our existence on earth this evening, and to really encourage you to steer your hearts that actually this isn't just something we're having to do, this is something God has called us to do. So why is it an important topic? Because the truth is the Bible tells us that we are made for work. It says it as we've just read. We are made to work. God has put us in the Garden of Eden to do so. Genesis 1.26 says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. God, the creator, he's just created the earth, the author, the gardener, just created a gardener, formed us and gives us dominion in the earth. And he makes us in his image. He makes us creators. He makes us authors, and he makes us gardeners with rules to play as part of his kingdom. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just tell them, you are a gardener. Do that now. <laughs> very good. Very good. Don't, don't worry, this isn't the key part of my preach, but uh, yeah, I'll explain later. This evening, I'd like to encourage you all. Um, I'd, I'd like, yeah, as I said, this isn't just a focus for our minds, but I hope this really stirs your hearts this evening. In order to do this, I have three key points. Number one, what we're called to do. Number two, how we're going to do it. And lastly, number three, an essential truth in getting it done. So number one, what we are called to do. God didn't make work to punish us. Say that again. God did not make work to punish us. Us. Oh, work is not a punishment, as it says up the board. Many other religions portray work as a punishment. In Middle Eastern mythology, the gods created humans as primitive underlings that were subservient in order that the humans might do the work of the gods, that the humans would do the menial tasks too lowly for a god to otherwise do. This meant man's, man, mankind's purpose was to work and to work in order to please or win favour with the gods. We see that in their rhetoric and what they were trying to do and how they responded to their gods. They were always trying to please them. For the Greeks, spiritual fulfillment was through intellect and through deeper understanding, philosophy. And they created a hierarchy of understanding which marginalized work, the people that did the menial tasks. Roman culture was about dominance. They were a dominant, powerful uh, society, and in so their gods were dominant and powerful and would fight amongst themselves that they would have rule over each other. Now, the Roman Empire, again, was indeed powerful, but it enslaved and taxed its conquered enemies. And it persecuted those who did not accept their specific dominance. In our contemporary society, we know things like the American dream, 
or the illusion that success will come to you if only you work hard enough. Now, this working hard enough, good things will happen. If you just work harder, work harder is itself. We don't call it a god, but it takes the place of one of these gods of the historic kind of eras. We end up chasing achievement or wealth or the white picket fence ideology. Now, as we've said, Christmas is approaching. I went down to Princess Street this morning, and it was carnage, absolute carnage. I tried to get from Jenner's to somewhere else uh, to buy a jumper. I thought it would be simple. It was not. Uh, there was, uh, Princess Street is busy, but it was, it was bonkers today, and there was the, um, the Christmas market had just opened. Scores of people, the, the buses kind of having to kind of crush their way through. It was, it was, it was, it was busy. But that, for Edinburgh, is our, is our Christmas time, I suppose, if you head down to Princess Street. But no, we have the Christmas carols coming, and it's at Christmas that we see a key change to the historical values that we've seen before. It says in the Bible, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God is amongst us. In the, in the beginning, God worked. He got down into the dirt and formed us. When Jesus comes to earth, he comes to be amongst us. He is born into a modest family, into humble surroundings. We know that up to the age of 30, he would have been a carpenter. He would have worked in the the job that his earthly father did. Work is something that God does, and it is good. We see that again in the passage we've just read. And this means that if God does it, we believe that all work has dignity. And in heaven, we will have jobs to do. We will be like him, and we will rule with him. In the Garden of Eden, which is a metaphor for uh, what heaven will be like, um, we see great food, we see beauty, we see spirituality, they have relationship with God. We also see that work has a place in paradise. I notice that God doesn't create a hierarchy of roles and responsibilities like we do today. Fifty years ago, the job title was the key thing. Maybe you were a lawyer, a doctor, or an engineer, or maybe even an architect. And that title had merit. If you don't know, sorry, I'm, a, I'm an architect, <laughs> hence the joke. Um, in, today's, in today's world, um, I don't think it's quite as clear as that, but I think certainly the, it's, it's the doing that seems to have the merit. It's how did sportsmen, how did they do well? Actors turn philanthropists, the latest tech entrepreneurs, civil rights activists healthy eating YouTube bloggers. We seem to be looking to model how they go about things rather than who they actually are. And we seem to gauge how they're doing, we can also do. And we don't set up that it becomes our goal. If only I could do it like them. Not be them, but do it like them. Now, we don't want to be in their doing. We want to just be. And this evening, I hope as I go on, I can help you. That God created you, not just to do, but to be. Your work has dignity because God made you. And he made you in his image to do it. So number two, how are we going to do it? Take a moment to think your current position. What do you do? Where are you? We've learned that all your work has dignity But would you say that you are fulfilled in your current situation? Key to lasting motivation in your work is to find fulfillment 
in whatever that is. And I have three checks that help us ground us current situations. So number one, look in. We have read that God gives you permission. He says, let them rule. Remember the image you are created in, that he has given you dominion on this earth and that he has a sovereign purpose that by his grace we are able to partake in. God is the creator and if we are created in his image, we too can count ourselves as creators. His first commandment, go forth and multiply, isn't just talking about children. He's talking about nurturing. He's talking about tending. He's talking about bringing and keeping order of this earth. We do this with the help of the Holy Spirit. And he's the Holy Spirit, we see at the beginning, separates the earth from the sea. It's a, it's a massive metaphor in the, in the kind of creation story. We see the Holy Spirit hovering and separating the earth from the sea. What does he do? He brings order from the chaos. He separates. And to separate is a key kind of phrase that I'm going to refer in the rest of this message. So how do you do that in your current position? If you work in business, your role, your employment, ultimately is to separate and to bring order out of your clients' chaos. They will come to you with a problem and you will have the skills and abilities and the function to be able to do that for them. If you're a painter, if you don't know my wife, uh, she was a painter, we met in college. Um, she takes gloops of colour, gloops of colour, she's very expressive, lots of gloops of colour, <laughs> but she brings definition, she brings order out of the chaos of all the colour to, to, to define a beautiful image or picture. If you're an engineer this evening, your chaos is taking broken bits Bringing order, putting them together to make them into something useful. Do you work in medicine this evening? You're a doctor, a nurse, a scientist, bringing order, bringing the chaos of people's broken bodies and making them well again. Are you a teacher, giving young minds the tools they need in order to bring order out of their own chaos? Or are you a cleaner? Do you clean surfaces though that you bring the, just the chaos of the mess and do you make it right again so people can use it, people can eat from it and not get sick? Just as God himself did, you all by the Spirit are made to bring something new out of the dust, to bring order out of the chaos. And check two, look out. Take care of your garden. What's the most, what's the most important role of an airline pilot? Does anyone have a guess? Anyone? Most important role of an airline pilot? Fly the plane. Fly the plane? Well, interesting. The most important role of an airline pilot isn't the flying, it's the landing. <laughs> What's the second most important role of an airline pilot? Might need some help with this. Taking off again. So it's not just flying the plane, it's not just landing the plane in a safe manner but meant everybody that got on it is well and able to go about their holiday. It's to be able to take that plane and use it again. It's not very good if you just slam the plane into the <laughs> ground, can't use it again. Mainly people that you've just brought on holiday won't be able to return back to their lives. <laughs> we don't just find fulfillment in our work, but we find fulfillment in the wider impact of what we do. 
What are the opportunities that God has given you to make a wider impact in our jobs? This might be an odd phrase, but in architecture and business, we have the term loss leaders. Now, these are projects that we will willingly take on knowing that they might not make a specific profit. But they are a way that we can forge a new client relationship that we can then potentially, and we don't take these on all the time because then we'd be broke, but what we do is we take on potential clients that we can have the, uh, in, the, in a few years perhaps or a few weeks, we might be able to take on a bigger project with them to forge a new client relationship that would bring us uh, ultimately a greater profit which outweighs the loss that we initially make. What am I talking about? I'm talking about stewardship here. What are the opportunities for you to be a sacrificial colleague, a sacrificial boss or an employee? Now, this doesn't have to be whether or not you make a profit or not. You probably won't, but I'm talking about maybe making the coffee for your colleagues. This could be taking on the projects that, to be honest, nobody else wants to do. Or this could be befriending the colleague that everybody else finds difficult. There's nothing in it for you but it's a ways and means that you can see your role, your God-given role, and really extend the kingdom in it. As part of our worship here, again, in our looking out, we believe that the best way that we can impact our city is to be part of a church. And as part of the church, as Chris mentioned, we take up an offering. And we do that because we believe that God has authority over our position. And in that, we earn and we make money, and we are able to give money freely. Now, you might give to various other things, but at the same time, we give to church in a way that we can like, proactively give and see the kingdom built. We can see people um, coming yeah, and using our money uh, wisely. We can build community, and we can reach the city. And this is just another way that we look out. Remember that by grace, God has given you each a garden to cultivate. And in grace, cultivate it well. Check three, whatever you do, don't look down, look up. Look up to the one who has called you. In the essay, The Weight of Glory, C.S. Lewis talks about our existence as beings made of God's, for God's affirmation. But he notes that we are too often like ignorant children who would prefer to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. And he says this key statement says, We are too easily pleased. Now, before architecture became my thing, I grew up in a family run hotel. When I came to university, I uh, worked in a number of upmarket hotels in various places. I still to this day hold trays in a slightly uh, weird manner. <laughs> but in my work, I was employed to make sure my guests were happy and catered for. And I actually enjoyed the buzz of ensuring that even the most fussy of customers were looked after. And I would make it my goal to get tips as a kind of, yeah, I've managed to uh, win them over. I've managed to take them on this process. And actually, the whole success of their stay was down to my uh, abilities to cater for them. To be honest, I love that. Today, my company has a number of repeat clients who like the fact that we are accommodating to their every whim, to be quite frank. <laughs> I have late nights making sure that we don't just get five bedrooms in a hotel, we can get 65 bedrooms into as small a space as possible to maximise their profit. It's great, if not for our planning department. 
No, but we love doing it. But at the same time, when we complete a project, we are the first to get the photographer in, to take the snapshots, to upload the Instagrams, to Twitter feeds, to portray, look how well we did. We love the pat on the head metaphor. We can be like that too. Look what we did. Jen talked about it on the Facebook. Look what I did. Looking for that affirmation, which is just from our friends. In part, looking after your customers, your clients, your colleagues, is part of the stewardship that I've just talked about. But be aware of living the life of a people pleaser. C.S. Lewis's essay helped me to understand this pitfall, that looking for affirmation isn't a specifically bad thing, but we are prone to selling ourselves short. We are fixing our souls in consolable longing to anything else but God. I'm going to read some of what Lewis carries on to say. Indeed, we are too easily pleased when we pine finally for anything less than God. When we ache only for seeing his splendor from afar, rather than going further up and further in. To being accepted, welcomed, and taken into the dance, the weight of glory means good report with God. Acceptance by God. Response, acknowledgement, and welcome. A welcome into the heart of things. Our creator has written on our hearts not only to enjoy eternity as spectators in his majestic stadium, but being brought onto the field, given a jersey, and adopted as a full member of his team, to live in acceptance and embrace. Now, we never become God, but we become spectacularly like one with him through his son, And surely such a weight of glory, almost too great to even consider in this current position. Now this is a key point. Avoid the trap of looking to our earthly source or an earthly source for your affirmation. But instead focus on God. Hebrews 12 starts with a well-known passage about Jesus being the founder and the perfecter of our faith. As we run with endurance the race that is set before us, look to Jesus who, through the work on the cross, has made a way for our eternal affirmation in God. And finally, I'm going to tell you about an essential truth in getting all the work we talked about done. Now, we've understood what we're called to do. I hope we've helped you in how you're going to go about it. But I appreciate it's not as simple as that. I'm not naively describing a kind of utopian kind of uh, vision of, yeah, work should just be easy if you just accept this simple plan. I know that a lot of you will be deeply unhappy in your job. And if we're honest, you don't have to dig deep to see that the pitfalls exist for most of our earthly vocations. Even the best jobs can be incredibly frustrating, tiresome, or simply boring, depending on the season that you're in. And this is down to the fall. God created work and it was good, but part of the punishment for eating, the tree, eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that our work has become hard, that we would toil and that fruit would not be forthcoming. The previous pictures of God working amongst us might feel like an unrealistic picture of what work really is like in the world. Work can bring hurt, work can make and bring anxiety, And to be honest, work can often feel like the chaos that we're supposed to be bringing order out of. However, this evening, 
I want to show you that the Bible is realistic in showing us exactly what we need in order to realign our way of thinking. The essential truth here is we need rest. In Genesis 2-2, we see God finishes his work and he rests. He then sets aside the Sabbath and he commands us to uphold the day of rest. Practically, we all need rest. We can only physically do so many all-nighters before our bodies finally give in. We will certainly just at least slow down in seasons of hardship and difficulty. Practically, sorry, our society broadly accepts that we need to establish a rhythm of work and rest in order for us to be productive. Productivity expert Juliet Funt Uh, has listed four thieves of productivity that can rob us some degree of our productivity. And in order to stay productive, we must make sure that we protect our key assets as workers, ensuring that, for one, our drive doesn't become overdrive, that our pursuit of excellence doesn't become perfectionism, that our curiosity for information, which is a good thing, doesn't become too much information. We must ensure that, even in the busiest of periods, activity doesn't become frenzy. Now, there are plenty of tools and techniques out there that purposely can help us find this balance between work and rest and maximize our productivity, but you truly won't find that through, you won't find a deep rest through all the TED Talks and all the um, helpful courses that we can go on. You need real deep Sabbath rest. Psalm 3, verses 5 to 6, we see David, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. As I say, all the sleep training courses, TED Talks, won't rescue you from the pressures of going around your daily life. They won't rescue you from anxiety Right now we see David in this psalm coming to God and saying, it is in you I find rest. David's being persecuted, he's being chased, he's saying, I've got people right and left. I am going to lay down and rest in you, God. This is a deep rest of the soul. God taught me this a number of years ago. When I graduated, finally, from architecture, I graduated my postgraduate degree in architecture, and I felt that the time I'd served in college entitled me to a job in architecture. The reality is, was that I graduated in 2009, 2010, and they were in the midst of a crazy, like our last downturn, and construction, the construction industry was the hardest hit. But you know what? I graduated, and I thought I was still entitled to these things. Now, for one way or another, things... I've got me to this far, and I'm going to just say a, a few things. That when I graduated, it was a rubbish time, to be honest. There were things that were a stuck gap, which were really great. But my identity was wrapped up um, in being an architect. And I went through that whole season of thinking, no, I need to be an architect. I will not be fulfilled unless I am an architect. Doing became my being. My striving became the thing that I ultimately thought, yeah, no, this is what I need to be doing. And I got frustrated. This didn't just affect my work life, but this affected my relationships. This affected my 
outlook on my future. I describe it as a, a kind of fog came down and I couldn't see past this point. And I really struggled with my identity. And I was striving to find being in my doing. And I only brought, broke clear of this crisis when God used somebody to helpfully guide me in my perspective by saying, I was sitting there going, why won't God do this? Why won't he break in? Somebody helpfully reminded me, Sandy, remember, what has God done for you? I'd forgotten that God's plan and purpose for us is far greater than the roles we define for ourselves. In Genesis chapter 2, God cries out with joy, it is finished. Centuries later, we hear the same person in Jesus cry out again, it is finished. The first time God rests because he has created the earth and it was finished and it was good. Jesus cries out on the cross so that we could get rest. He knew that he had conquered death and that he had made a way to the Father's eternal affirmation that we could join in that and be one with that. Hebrews 4, 9-10 says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. We must understand that it is by the work of Jesus on the cross that we have our definition. It's not the hours served. It's not the how long you've studied. Ultimately, we find our identities in the cross. And he, Jesus did everything necessary for us to be secure in God's eyes. And that we can know the Father's true approval. We no longer have to strive, working for the work, trying to find our being in our doing. When I was looking for work, I sent out CV after CV after CV. And I would walk into offices, literally just walk into offices in the hope that they would give me a job there and then. I would pay for train tickets all across the country, getting phone calls to go to an interview like the following day down in London at like 7 a.m. It was crazy. But all my striving, I felt, would give me purpose. And I wasn't appreciating the identity that God had already given me. The truth is, I ultimately found the deep rest, and this is a deep rest of the soul, that I could know fullness of life through him. This evening, Jesus gives us all an invitation to rest. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weak, weedy, and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Remember, the greatest of all works is finished. God the creator has made us all stewards of his creation. He's given you all roles to play. We are given the chance to create with him but it is in him that we find true fulfillment and it is in him we find a true deep rest of the soul. This evening, I want you to know that we are no longer defined in our doing, but we can have rest, knowing that in Christ's final cry, it is finished. We can have an identity that means I can be. Amen.